Avoidance is fueled by fear. And whether a function of business success or sheer growth and headcount, fear is the manifest enemy of innovation. Everyone from the leaders to the line employees becomes afraid of losing, afraid of risk-taking, afraid of confronting the truth, afraid of being found out, hell, afraid of saying hello. Welcome to Insert Human. This is a show that is not for everyone. It's for seekers, people like you, hopefully, who are searching for solutions to your problems, the world's problems, and everything in between. The conversations to come are going to show you how finding the truth of our humanity is the magic key to solving pretty much anything. Between my monologues, my dialogues with brilliant guests, and your good questions, you're going to learn how to insert human into everything, and in doing so, realize a better life and one day a better world. Welcome to another episode of Insert Human and chapter four of my book, This Is It For Your Business. And the subtitle of this chapter is Evolution 101, Part Two, Innovating From the Inside Out. So here's an existential thought. You cannot become more innovative, more progressive, more transformative, or more evolved without actually being those things which really means you have to innovate from the inside out. You have to change how your organization works, what it values, what it celebrates, and how it exists on the back of cultural norms that support innovation from top to bottom and sideways. I know that sounds daunting, and it is. And that's why so many companies delude themselves into believing the magicians, the slap-ons, and the labs will somehow do the innovation trick, and they don't. So my suggestion is you do these things instead. Start by rewriting the unwritten rules. Back in the 90s, there was a business consultant by the name of Peter Scott Morgan, who worked for one of the first management consulting firms, I believe in America, by the name of Arthur D. Little. Peter wrote a book entitled The Unwritten Rules of the Game. While it was no Pulitzer Prize winner, it did serve up a really provocative little insight about the way organizations really work. Peter's claim, which upon observation makes perfect sense, is that the actions and behaviors of organizations are not determined by what's written in the employee manual or posted under the mission statement on the bulletin board in the cafeteria, but rather by the unwritten rules. He posits that the unwritten rules are the ways of the place built up over time, subconsciously passed on from employee to employee, never codified, but clearly embedded in the culture as guideposts and guardrails of the organization's behavioral do's and don'ts. Every organization of people, from sports teams and startups to the Catholic church and your own family, is guided by a unique set of unwritten rules. Believe me, they exist. And they have a powerful effect on what people within the organization do and don't do. So if you want to change the way your organization innovates, you have to start with identifying its unwritten rules and then more than likely and ironically rewriting them. And here's a textbook case. A couple of years back, I was working with a mid-tier business on a strategic plan that would help push it into the prestige tier of its competitors. In my early due diligence, I quickly realized that the way of the place was getting in the way of the innovation and evolutionary progress we needed. 
At an offsite with a leadership team, I introduced the idea of the unwritten rules. And I asked all five attendees, all the senior executives of the company, including the CEO, to write down what they thought the current unwritten rules of the organization were. I then took their individual answers, submitted to me on little sheets of paper, and transposed them onto a whiteboard, condensing the rules wherever they overlapped. And the leadership team had shared the following. These were their unwritten rules. Number one, lack of trust. We start with a place of suspicion, frustration, and versus curiosity. Number two, nothing is good enough. We never celebrate. Number three, everything should be processed. Number four, it's not my job. It's not my place. I don't need to innovate. And the list went on. But you have to ask yourself, could innovation, could transformation, could consistent evolution happen in this kind of environment? Of course not. So once the slightly horrifying unwritten rule cat was out of the bag with this group, the question for them became, what do the unwritten rules need to be to foster innovation and consistent evolution of the business? As you can imagine, that led to lots of frothy conversation, but ultimately it ended up with this revised list. Number one, trust first. Assume best intentions, begin with curiosity rather than judgment or suspicion. Number two, everyone is accountable to everyone all the time, all hands on deck. Number three, risk-taking is encouraged and celebrated. Number four, Celebration, celebration of effort, celebration of achievement, celebration of innovation happens regularly. And the list went on, but those were the big ones. So the question that, again is, could innovation, could consistent evolution, transformation happen in this kind of organization? I think so. So here's a, here's a moment for you all as listeners to consider. And I'm going to give you like 30 seconds, which is a lot in airtime. What are the unwritten rules of your organization? And which ones are the biggest barrier to fostering innovation and transformation within it? Here you go, 30 seconds. Okay, hopefully some thoughtful thoughts in there. So alongside the rewriting of the unwritten rules, the second task is to focus on building trust, up, down, and sideways. As you might have construed from that company's first unwritten rule list, it would be virtually impossible to get an organization's head around innovation if distrust was at the rotten core of its culture. In my work at the Harvard Innovation Lab, supporting hundreds of Harvard student and alumni startups in their effort to create viable businesses and social enterprises, it became crystal clear that breakthrough thinking often comes from a collaboration of diverse minds engaged in truth-telling that is enabled by a foundation of trust. No trust, no truth, no breakthrough ideas. It's that simple. It's an idea pretty much proven by Google a few years back when they initiated an internal research study called Project Aristotle, 
The question Google wanted to answer was, why are some Google teams so much more productive and innovative than other Google teams? After countless hours of interviews and a mountain of Googlean diagnostics, the ultimate conclusion was that the difference between the great teams and the good teams or the bad teams was what they called psychological safety. The teams that performed the best were the ones who trusted each other the most, regardless of role or rank or function. Those teams approached the team test and voiced their ideas as who they were, not what their business card title read. And they approached it without fear of judgment or need for validation. Fundamentally, they were not afraid. From a New York Times article about Project Aristotle, consider this. What Project Aristotle has taught people within Google is that no one wants to put on a work face when they get to the office. No one wants to leave part of their personality and inner life at home. But to be fully present at work, to feel psychologically safe, we must know that we can be free enough sometimes to share things that scare us without fear of recriminations. Innovating teams are not afraid. So if you want a culture of innovation, of transformation, build a culture of trust, which really means it's time for step three. And that is suck fear out of the system. It turns out that if you drill deeper into why hubris and blinders form in organizations and empires over time, it's because as success stacks up and organizations get bigger, people actually get more fearful and more hesitant, not less. I know, I know, that's, that's kind of weird, but, but think about it. The more wealth that is amassed, the more there is to lose. And a quietly desperate, maybe even subconscious belief emerges that what got us here will get us wherever we want to go. So why risk it? Why risk change? The more people that pile into an office building every day, not so much today, but one day it will return, the greater the likelihood the Dunbar effect is taking effect. This is the social psychology theory proposed by a British anthropologist by the name of Robin Dunbar in the 1990s that claimed that people can only handle about 150 stable relationships. So when the office count exceeds 150, trust tends to plummet. And when trust plummets, innovation tends to come to a grinding halt. Apparently Dunbar rather cheekily explained the calculation as the number of people you would not feel embarrassed about joining uninvited for a drink if you happen to bump into them in a bar. I can attest to this effect. In the mid nineties, when my company topped 150 staffers for the first time, and I could no longer remember every employee's name, storm clouds of cultural dysfunction and innovation malaise began forming. I came to realize that the people were no longer being open and honest. They were no longer unabashedly sharing their opinions and ideas and worse, they are avoiding doing so. That realization prompted me to co coin a term, the avoidance inventory, and articulate the idea that problems appear in organizations and families and countries when we lose the ability to gently confront one another. The issues aren't resolved, but worse, the avoidances don't go away. They get placed in a virtual inventory whose existence denigrates all subsequent communications between us. Eventually, the avoidance inventory overflows or even blows, and that's when the really bad stuff happens, like divorce or Chapter 11. As one remedial step to try to solve the growing problem associated with the Dunbar effect, 
I wrote this poem back in the 90s and shared it with the 150 plus employees of my firm. I think they liked the poem, but they still kept avoiding each other. Several years later, we were out of business. So I'm going to share it with you. It's titled Ode to Our Avoidance Inventories. Part of this borrowed from a song by Janis Joplin. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My avoidance inventory is climbing. I must make amends. Give me the strength to challenge my peers. Give me the conviction to quell my worst fears. Allow me to confront both demons and friends for their sake and mine and for positive ends. Let me approach my relationships with new candor and heart and have our souls move closer and not farther apart. For we all must realize that we are both lock and key and that our future is dependent on seeing the other as me. Avoidance is fueled by fear. And whether a function of business success or sheer growth in headcount, fear is the manifest enemy of innovation. Everyone from the leaders to the line employees becomes afraid of losing, afraid of risk-taking, afraid of confronting the truth, afraid of being found out, hell, afraid of saying hello. As fear grows, biases take hold, and a prevailing notion that new things won't work, new things aren't welcome, or simply the senseless sensibility that we've got it all figured out begins to dominate the ether of every conversation. We circle our wagons to protect what we have, and in doing so, progress comes to a grinding halt. So the task, my dear listener, is to suck fear out of the system and replace it, yes, with love and respect. When you do it, it does not mean arguments won't happen. It just means that they happen less frequently and the outcome will be far more satisfying for all involved. Lead from your heart, not from your head. Show vulnerability and a willingness to share the unfiltered truth of you. In doing so, you make it psychologically safe for others to be who they are. And in doing that, you motivate them to give you all they can. Fixate on creating a work environment that demands empathy and rewards personal honesty. And take a page out of the fabric innovator W.L. Gore's playbook. Don't build office buildings for more than 150 people. When you replace fear with love and respect, a slew of other things will change too. You will find yourself celebrating failure as much as you celebrate success you will start rewarding risk-taking. You will start to push ego out the door and welcome in a selflessness in its stead. And when you do that, you'll start realizing that some fundamental barnyard cleaning to do, starting with the sacred cows. Thanks for listening today. If you're in search of more opportunities to realize positive change in your life or work, and you find what I have to say helpful, you can always subscribe to my show, check out one of my new salons that are weekly virtual gatherings of like-minded folks. You can read some of my writings or just listen to one of the talks that I've given around the world over the last couple of years. And you can do it all at chriscolbert.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for my ongoing email updates. When you do, you'll receive a free copy of the first chapter of my about-to-be-published book, Technology is Dead. Again, it's all available at chriscolbert.com. Thanks again for listening today, and I look forward to connecting more in the days ahead.